Uh, so today we want to uh, continue in our uh, study of Acts, and we are actually uh, in the middle of chapter 11. And so uh, before we uh, entered uh, Rosh Hashanah, we left off with uh, this story of uh, Cornelius uh, and of Peter uh, bringing this message uh, to uh, Cornelius. And this really, as we talked about, was the beginning of uh, what's uh, sometimes referred to as the mission to the Gentiles, the, uh, the word uh, uh, coming to the, the nations. You know, in our, we're, we're used to, of course, living in the 21st century, we are used to, of course, the good news of the Messiah goes to Gentiles. What's the use in talking, right? Today, it's like the world is turned upside down. Today, it's like, oh, you mean that Jewish people can believe that Yeshua is the Messiah? Wow, that's a novel and interesting and new thing. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, of course, when you go back and you look in the scriptures, it was the other way around. Uh, and that is a big part of the story of the Brit Hadashah, a big part of the story uh, of the New Covenant uh, scriptures. And so uh, Luke, in, in uh, giving us this uh, understanding, as we know, he began in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, uh, and the remotest part of the earth, well, the gospel hasn't gone yet to the remotest part of the earth. It's still, if you look on a map, it's not that far away, but it's going to uh, places that it had never been before, uh, leaving not only uh, Judea, uh, but also the entire, you know, Galilee and Samaria. Uh, and, uh, and, and so uh, this is really what is, uh, what is new. So in the, middle of in the middle of chapter 11 is where really that Cornelius story ends. When Peter now uh, comes back to Jerusalem and explains to the apostles this great truth, you know, that, that this word is going to the Gentiles. And, and remember that Peter, he needed, he needed a vision. He needed an angel. Uh, he, needed to, he needed several different testimonies and proofs to really understand that uh, he can go and uh, have table fellowship with uh, non-Jews uh, and that uh, you know, he can share this message to them and that they don't have to become proselytes. They don't have to become proselytes. They don't have to, to use uh, uh, terminology in our own world. They don't have to convert, you know, to, they don't have to become Jewish uh, in order to uh, uh, receive the Messiah. This was radical uh, at that time. And it's important to, you know, I think for us to, to appreciate, you know, to appreciate that. And so uh, now here, Beginning in verse uh, 19, okay, is really uh, where we now begin. It's now a, a, new, a new section, all right? Uh, now, something I, th uh, I guess I should read uh, here in verse 18, right? Uh, it says, and when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. So the, the point of that verse and of reading that verse 
it tells us that the apostles in Jerusalem, they got it. Just like, you know, Peter got it. They got it. Okay. Wow. The message can go to people from the nations and they don't have to become Jewish. This is a major understanding. Uh, uh, you know, we don't assume, we should never assume, well, they only, this was the way it always was, or they, they always understood this. It was not the case. Uh, and this is the hand of God. This is the hand of God over those early believers, guiding them in the truth, guiding them in the right way. After Yeshua is already seated at the right hand of the Father, he is guiding and directing, uh, guiding and directing them. Okay. All right. So now we read in verse 19. So then, so now it's a, sort of a new episode. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Now, so what Luke is doing now, now he has opened the door to this understanding, uh, uh, explaining to us how the apostles understood that this good news now uh, can go to the nations. Now, uh, this, this is the beginning of a real shift in uh, the book of Acts. It's going to take a couple of chapters for it actually to make the full shift. But now the uh, primary... Uh, uh, history is going to be about how the good news begins to go to the Gentiles. Not as opposed to Jews, but including Jews, but primarily here, what Luke is explaining to us is this mission to the, the nations. So he says that if you go back, you know, to chapter eight, that's where uh, we read about the Hellenistic Jews, right? And we read about Stephen and and how uh, uh, Stephen is martyred, right? Uh, we remember that Stephen was one of the men chosen to serve uh, the tables of the uh, Hellenistic widows, right? Uh, and that means the Greek-speaking Jews uh, who felt that uh, their needs were not being met. And uh, you have these men who are raised up. Uh, who are uh, come from Hellenistic regions and uh, speak uh, Greek, and and so they would minister to them. And then we read about Philip, remember, and then about Stephen, two of these men full of the Spirit, uh, who not only serve tables but really are are uh, uh, bringing the message, beginning to bring the message outside of that comfort zone of uh, of of Jews. Uh, and uh, and Stephen goes to uh, uh, evidently there was a synagogue in Jerusalem of uh, people that had come from other regions and now lived in Jerusalem, uh, uh, and it was a Hellenistic synagogue. And Stephen goes there and he's preaching the message and he ends up dying for it. Right, he's martyred. Uh, and so when you come to verse nineteen here, we read. Here in chapter 11, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose in connection with Stephen. So evidently what we learn is that after Stephen was martyred, 
this created great tumult. It wasn't an isolated event. Uh, it sparked great trouble uh, for Jewish uh, Messiah followers. Uh, and what do we read? We read that they scattered, scattered to varieties of, of, uh, of different places. Uh, and so it says here that some made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. So where, are, where is Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch? Basically in southern Turkey and what would today be Lebanon, you know, and Cyprus, uh, the island of Cyprus. Uh, and uh, uh, so we see that this um, like northwest direction uh, from uh, uh, Jerusalem uh, and uh, not far, by the way, from uh, Tarsus, okay, uh, where uh, Saul, remember, Saul had to escape Jerusalem and they took him to Caesarea. They took him to Caesarea and sent him on a slow boat to Tarsus. Right. Uh, and so now years uh, uh, go by and you have these Messiah followers in these places. Now, some have speculated that perhaps the, these uh, people from Jerusalem, these Messiah followers went from Jerusalem to these places, but that Saul of Tarsus may have had a hand uh, in establishing these uh, congregations. We don't know that for sure, uh, but it's a rather interesting thought. But in any case, in any event, there's a great lesson actually to be learned here. You know, we might think that persecution, the troubles, actually, you know, the word for the um, when it says uh, the word persecution in verse 19, uh, then those who were scattered because of the persecution, that's really the it's it's. The word is actually troubles, tribulation, affliction. Uh, you know, not just the word persecution, but it's more descriptive, more of a descriptive word uh, of uh, what actually uh, happens to them. A lot of trouble. So we might see that as a bad thing. Oh, no, that's the work of the devil. Uh, you know, uh, uh, but the fact of the matter is God had his hand on this. And by the, as a result of the trouble, those people scattered. And as a result of them scattering, the message went to these places. You know, it kind of reminds me of Romans chapter 11 for a second, <laughs> a little bit of a, a diversion. In Romans 11, uh, you know, you read this uh, passage about something seemingly uh, bad, but that turns into something uh, good, right? In Romans 11, we read in verse 11, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be the riches of the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Well, the fact is, is that the very people who were persecuting or giving those Messiah followers trouble were Jewish people, was the community in Jerusalem. And so as a result of their transgression, salvation began to go to the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting? 
usually we just think of that as today, you know, but we see it right at the beginning as a result of the persecution by the Jewish establishment, we might say, of those Messiah followers, the good news goes to Antioch. The good news goes to Cyprus. The good news goes to Phoenicia. Now, what's also interesting is it says here in verse 19 that they spoke to no one except Jews. Now, what's interesting about these places is that they all had Jewish communities. They all had, a, I, I'll use the word substantial in the Jewish world, uh, uh, you know, not gigantic Jewish communities, but they all had Jewish communities that were recognizable as Jewish communities. And we know in a few chapters, we're going to see this, that when Saul of Tarsus begins to travel around, and he goes to, the, to bring the gospel to the nations. Where's the first place he goes? He goes to the Jewish quarter. He goes to the synagogue first. Even as we'll see, even after the text that says, and so he shook the dust off his feet and began to go to the Gentiles. The very next verse says, and so he went to a synagogue. You know, old habits are hard to break, I guess. Uh, but um, but so we see that that we see that here. Um, now it says in verse twenty, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Messiah Yeshua. So very important for us to get that uh, you know a God has His hand even when we. I have uh, uh, trouble uh, or are persecuted because of the faith. It will lead to the good news going elsewhere. And do you know that in the world, the, the most uh, vibrant, the most uh, uh, powerful testimony of Messiah followers doesn't come from congregations that are wealthy uh, or that uh, uh, are free but those who are persecuted, like the underground believers in different parts of the world, right? Uh, very powerful testimony, powerful believers, powerful witnesses, great miracles uh, uh, that, that people uh, observe and testify. Uh, and uh, so, you know, you, you have that, uh, that, that is really a new covenant truth. Out of the persecution, out of the tribulation of Yeshua came his resurrection, came our salvation. And so suffering uh, is a way to glory and is, you know, uh, not self-inflicted wounds in any way, shape, or form, not like that at all, but just recognize that persecution or people coming against us is not uh, necessarily a, a horrible thing. It reminds us who we are and hopefully uh, uh, causes us to look for different opportunities uh, to uh, testify of Yeshua. And that we see all over the scriptures, and here we see it uh, in Acts chapter 11. All right, so uh, immediately in verse 20, 
Antioch becomes the center of attention. This uh, place called Antioch. Okay. Now, Antioch uh, today, it's in uh, Syria. Okay, it still exists. By the way, you know, it's named for not, uh, not, uh, not the famous uh, Antiochus or Antiochus, uh, but one of his predecessors. It's named after uh, 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 Antiochus. Antioch uh, is short for Antiochus or Antiochus, right? Back in the, uh, but back in the 300s. Uh, not in the 200s. So it was before Antiochus or Antiochus Epiphanes, before him. But that's where Antioch got, to, got his name uh, from, uh, uh, or Antioch, the city, got its name. Now, this was no small city. This was the third largest city in the empire. Only Rome and Alexandria were larger. So this was uh, a city of no small means. On top of it, it, because it was a large cosmopolitan city, uh, it also was the home of many gods and great idolatry, but also licentiousness, uh, great, uh, immoral, great immorality. So think about it. It's an urban center, godless, uh, lots of idolatry uh, and, uh, and licentiousness. I mean, it sounds like a lot of big cities uh, that you could probably name, right? Uh, and so uh, it was in a different time period, in a different place. But I find it fascinating that the good news here is not going to small villages out in the countryside, but the primary places of bringing the good news in those early years, the first the generation after Yeshua's um, departure to the right hand of the Father, is big, urban, ungodly places. That should challenge us a little bit. In other words, as Messiah followers, maybe we should not think of escaping those places, but maybe going to those places and being a testimony, and being a light in the midst of darkness. So it's a kind of an interesting observation uh, that we see in this history. So it says, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, the Gentiles also, preaching the Messiah Yeshua. And I love that, preaching the Messiah Yeshua. It was not complicated, you know? It wasn't a complicated message. It wasn't uh, preaching a particular doctrine. It was preaching Messiah Yeshua. You know, the people that, that in the New Covenant anyway, that are, uh, that are challenged or judged in their preaching are people who bring other topics, other things. You know, in 1 Timothy, for example, what does Paul tell Timothy? He says, you got to silence people who are who are preaching, uh, teaching myths and, and uh, speculation and, you know, and, and other things. I, uh, clearly, we see it over and over again when Paul testifies, in fact, at the end of the book of Acts, he says, I'm preaching Messiah and the resurrection. It's really a very basic message. And we see it preached by Peter. We see it preached by Stephen. 
we see it preached by uh, Peter again, that it is uh, all about just Yeshua, that the Messiah has come and his name is Yeshua, right? Uh, and, uh, and so they say, the Lord Yeshua. Now, if we observe the text, and this is a good way of studying the Bible, observing it, it's very interesting uh, what you see uh, from the middle of verse 20 to the end of verse 21. So when it says at the end of verse 20, they began speaking to the Greeks and pre also preaching the Lord Yeshua, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. That's kind of interesting, I think that Yeshua is called Lord, then you read about the hand of the Lord, and then you read, read about people who turn to the Lord. That is a great statement of uh, the nature of Yeshua, of who Yeshua is. Yeshua is identified, clearly identified with God, the hand of the Lord, Lord Yeshua, hand of the Lord, turn to the Lord, right? Uh, and uh, uh, there's, uh, uh, it, not, it not only is telling us something about the nature of Yeshua, but it also uh, is telling us about the fact that he is the one to who is owed the devotion, not to Caesar, not to any other being, but to uh, Yeshua uh, alone. And so this is, it's radical in bringing the message to the Gentiles, and these Greeks believing it is also really radical. Uh, believing, calling anyone other than a Caesar Lord, uh, and uh, and the identification with the God of Israel. That little phrase, "the hand of the Lord," is very important. It speaks of the power of God, and it is the power of God who is making the disciples here. It wasn't because uh, they were great orators. Uh, it wasn't because uh, they were, uh, you know, sort of charismatic in their personality type of thing. No, it was the hand of the Lord was with them, uh, and they were available. They went to these places. They unabashedly shared the message uh, of Messiah Yeshua, and God brought the increase, you know? So the hand of the Lord was with them. It just reminds me again of the passages in Isaiah about the arm of the Lord, you know, is powerful. Uh, and uh, the arm of the Lord is not so short that it cannot save. You know what that means? It doesn't mean that it's like literally short. It means that it can reach everywhere. The arm of God can reach everywhere. The most unlikely people can come to know the Lord. Some of us, I think, could probably think about ourselves. Well, the arm of the Lord reached me. I was the most unlikely person to receive Messiah. And I know what you're thinking, some of you. You're thinking, no, 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 no. I was the most unlikely person uh, to, uh, to come in. Oh, you don't know anything about my life before I knew the Lord, but he reached me. No, it wasn't just because you happened to meet somebody, you know, that, that told you the message. No, God's hand is not so short that it cannot save. He pulls us in. And so here in these places that you would never expect people to come to know the God of Israel, Antioch, Phoenicia, uh, or uh, Cyrene, or Cyprus, the most unlikely of, uh, of uh, people and most unlikely of places, God reaches. And now there's something else here. It also says... 
Uh, and the hand of the, when it says they, in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. This is also interesting. Turned to the Lord. These are speaking about Greeks, speaking about non-Jews, turning to the Lord. That word in Greek for turn is the uh, equivalent in the Septuagint for shuv, for like return to the Lord or turn to God. And like in a place like Psalm 19, uh, it's often used, it's often translated as the word we never say, one of, the, one of our third rail words we never say, right? And that is convert, right? We never use that word, right? When I was a, uh, uh, you don't hear it too much anymore, but boy, years ago, uh, Jewish believers in Messiah were often referred, I can't believe I'm going to say this too, were often referred to as converted Jews, like converted Jews. No one ever said converted Gentiles, no, over, no one ever said, oh, I'm a converted pagan. No. Oh, but you're a converted Jew. And what that meant was, oh, you're, you're like the most unlikely person to ever hear this message, and you've converted from being Jewish to being Christian now. You used to be a Jew, now you're a Christian, right? That is, it's a loaded term. And thank the Lord, I think, in large part, by the presence of the Messianic Jewish movement, Nomenclature terminology is huge. It's not something small, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and so it's interesting that here, and also in Acts chapter 15, in verse 19, when we get there, we'll notice when James says that we don't trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Because you know, it was really a huge thing that these Gentiles are turning from being pagan to not being pagan, to a different category altogether. They're not Jews, but they're not pagans anymore. Uh, they're followers of the Messiah. All right. Uh, and so that's kind of interesting. Now in verse 22, when the news about them reached the ears of the congregation at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Uh, then uh, when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart and remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Uh, and considerable numbers were brought uh, to the Lord. Okay, so uh, we see here, that this was big news. Antioch's a big city. This is major news that uh, Gentiles are turning to the Lord in Antioch. Antioch is really the first place where you really see this, uh, a significant number of non-Jews embracing the Lord. So news gets back to Jerusalem. The apostles hear about it. And just like in chapter 8, I, I, you know, when Peter... Uh, was sent to uh, Joppa, right? So, uh, to, you know, to investigate the matter. Uh, so now uh, Barnabas is sent uh, to uh, Antioch to investigate the matter because it was so new and so different. Now, we know some things about Barnabas already. We know that Barnabas was his nickname, right? Uh, uh, his real name, of course, was Joseph, 
right? In Acts 4 and verses 36 and 37, now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, interesting, he was from Cyprus. Maybe that had something to do with why he was sent, okay? Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, uh, which means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land. He was kind of wealthy. Sold it and brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. He was an encourager. He was philanthropic. Uh, you know, he was generous. And then we read later on in regard to Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9, in verse 27, but Barnabas took hold of him, speaking of Paul, and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had taken, he had spoken out boldly in the name of Yeshua. So the point being here uh, is that uh, Barnabas was a, was a guy who really had a heart for people. You know, for example, he had a heart to, you know, to, to donate uh, money. He was an encouragement to people. And here, uh, Saul of Tarsus, who was kind of, uh, to the apostles in Jerusalem, kind of a sketchy figure, you know? But it was Barnabas who said, I'm going to take him under my wing because I see something in him that you don't see. And he brings him to the apostles and he explains uh, to them the glory of God. Barnabas was a guy who loved the glory of God and the work of God. Barnabas realized that this message was not about himself. It wasn't about the congregation of Jerusalem. It was about the work that God was doing. And he was rejoicing in the work, this new work, even to him. This was new and completely different, but he, he embraced it uh, and he rejoiced in it. And it might have had something to do with the fact that he was from Cyprus. May, it may have had something uh, uh, to do with it. And so uh, we read here that he comes and he witnesses. It's called the grace of God, the favor of God. That's what, you know, these uh, non-Jews, these Gentiles receiving the Messiah is called the favor of God. The favor of God. The favor of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them. Oh, there it is. He began to encourage them with all resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. That's kind of interesting. You know, what is it that he encourages them to do? He is encouraging them to stick with the program. He is encouraging them to not lose heart. He's encouraging them to have their eyes fixed on Yeshua uh, and to remain true to the Lord, to grow in the Lord you know, uh, to remain resolute. That's really very interesting to, to stand firm, uh, uh, with, uh, you know, with the Lord to be purposeful of heart, be, to be purposeful of heart. Uh, uh, and, and so he's beginning to disciple them actually is what, what you see now, interestingly, he's called a good man. Do you know that that is a rare to, in Acts, anyway, no one's called a good, there's no one else called a good man. It's called a good man. A good man. Isn't that, it's rather fascinating. This was something that was really valued, by the way, you know, in the Roman world to be called a good man. That may have a, a reason for why he's called that, perhaps. But he's called a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Meaning, he's obedient, full of faithfulness to the Lord. 
you know, full of trust and, and walking in the Lord. Shouldn't we all be, in a way, kind of like a Barnabas? He is quite a role model for every single one of us. He's not a person who, who repels. He's a person who draws in. You know, he's not a person who, ch who challenges so much as takes people under his wing and, uh, you know, and disciples them and nurtures them and grows them. And we'll see that this gets him into a little bit of an argument uh, with Paul a little bit later on. Okay. So we see, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So Barnabas begins to have an impact. So he sees what the picture you get here, he sees what's going on. He goes there and he's not only observing, but you know, he is an authority figure from the point of view of the Antiochian believers there. He's, a, he's an authority figure. He's coming from Jerusalem. Uh, and so he comes and he begins to nurture them and the congregation grows. Okay. And then it says, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. He knew that he, oh my goodness, uh, we're going to have to save this for next time. Okay, so uh, next week we will uh, continue and we will uh, understand now that, uh, well, I'll just say this. So what Barnabas does now is that he, uh, he sees that this is too big for one person and that this, what's happening is in Antioch is very significant. And so he goes, it's about 100 miles, by the way, uh, to find Saul of Tarsus. And he's going to bring him to Antioch. And we'll see what happens. And so, you know, as we close today, I think a couple of things we can learn from this. One is, is that if we face affliction, tribulation for being Messiah followers, don't consider it uh, a negative or you made a mistake or you did something wrong, but recognize that God is indeed at work. And when one door closes, another one will indeed open. We need to keep our eyes open to that. And God will bring us to the most unexpected of places when we're willing to give him our lives. And, uh, and then also, uh, another thing is for us to be challenged to be a Barnabas. To be a Barnabas, to be an encourager. To be an encourager, to be a discipler, means you really have to understand it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the work of God. And from Barnabas's point of view is whatever it takes for these people to grow, that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, right where we're going to begin next time is Barnabas, he could have done it all himself, but he realized this is more work for more than one person because Barnabas knew it wasn't about Barnabas. And so he goes and he finds Saul. And this is the beginning of the story, the real story of Saul of Tarsus. So let's pray and uh, we'll be all set. Lord uh, God, thank you for this great testimony. Lord, uh, thank you, God, that this um, message uh, has gone to the nations. Just as we read in Isaiah chapter 49, the promise of the suffering servant, the promise of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, we read, 
It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And we thank you, Lord, that it was those early Jewish Messiah followers who continued the work of Yeshua. We thank you, Lord, that Yeshua was ever present in their midst, but that these apostles and others, people like Barnabas, people like Philip, people like Stephen, brought the message to the nations. And uh, God, we thank you for that. And we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.